the UK Food Shows podcast in association with William Reed Business Media. Welcome to a special edition of the UK Food Shows podcast, this time focusing on Food and Drink Expo. Now, Nick, tell us about who the extended and I must say fascinating interview in this podcast will be featuring. Yeah, we got to sit down with uh, Chloe Comby. Now, she's a writer, speaker, she's a consultant, and she's also a really sought-out expert on youth issues, um, centering on Gen Z and latterly Gen A as well. So anyone who wants to find out what drives young people, Chloe Comby is a font of all knowledge. Uh, I was very lucky to catch up with her. She's been in America actually working on some political consultancy um, so I actually started by speaking to her about what, if anything, UK politicians can do to engender themselves to young people. Uh, I think the big uh, one really is um, a sense of promise of the future, because I think that one of the greatest kind of, um, I guess, you know, tragedies of the modern kind of age, it's sort of, you know, certainly for the last 10 years, it's like this isn't, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a line or a, a sort of suspicion, but quite simply, that the opportunities and the resources and 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 the, and the things that were available to um, older generations, so kind of let's sort of Generation X going backwards to baby boomers. So really, the parents and the grandparents of young people. So we're calling sort of Generation Z and Generation A, and and certainly younger millennials. Is is that the the that that life is going backwards and mm. that all of the kind of, the, the, you know, the kind of promises and sureties that were available to older generations, which were, you know, the ability to buy a house, uh, the ability to have one um, paying job that gave you a kind of a reasonable standard of living, um, the uh, the possibility of having your own family, um, you know, the the, 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 <laughs> the the possibility that you can move out of home at a reasonable age like you know the university is i mean that, yeah. that that's a kind of an increasingly vanishing prospect for for, for younger people to the point that you know the, the 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 notion that they will ever be able to afford a house i think the statistic at the moment in the uk is only 35 percent, so around about a third of uh, anyone under the age of 28 will ever be able to afford their own home yeah so the you know what what these are not like unrealistic kind of you know, dreams at all, mm. um, and um, and and those are kind of a vanishing prospect for young people, which yeah. is it's which is you know incredibly depressing that in in the large you know in the grand scheme of things that we want you know kind of the the arc to go forward not backwards and that's exactly what it's doing. It's bred quite a lot of resentment in young people, but then you, I think, certainly my take on it would be that you would think that that would um, breed quite a lot of ambivalence from young people. And actually, I don't think, though there are quite a few people, a few young people, I would say, who are quite ambivalent towards political issues. There has been a rise of kind of young activism as well, hasn't there? I mean, people like Greta Thunberg have, are kind of leading the way in, the, in that kind of sphere, I would argue. No, absolutely. And I think one of the, 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 the sort of very positive responses to this kind of sense of this kind of, I guess, this decline in hope and promise is a stimulation. I think millennials, kind of my generation, um, fell for this notion because we were kind of so inured with the, the, the sort of the beginning of the, you know, the smartphone and the sort of social media revolution. And we were so kind of, you know, th- thought that hashtagging and, and, you know, signing petitions and stuff was kind of enough to, to, to invoke change. And yeah. what happened was that, you know, 
things got worse. And I think one of the things that Generation Z has really realised that 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 it's not enough to kind of hashtag or sign things. That there actually needs to be sort of boots on the ground, kind of almost kind of old fashioned activism. And and yeah. and I think that that you sort of see mirroring um, of of kind of. Um, sort of the points of history and you see sort of mirroring in trends and there's also almost kind of a very I think what we're sort of seeing emerging is almost a kind of a a 1920s version of kind of the 1960s so there's this is quite sort of almost kind of quite countercultural spirit in the air and we're sort of seeing that kind of manifest in lots of different ways but I think one of the things uh, I think certain we can almost bank on in the next five years that there's going to be this explosion of youth activism in lots of kind of different areas. And I think obviously Greta Thunberg is a real flashpoint for that. But I think that's a real beginning of a kind of a, of, of a sort of a, of, a, of a trend in activism with young people. Not not kind of it's not a flash in the pan thing at all. And I think, again, if you look at points in history where uh, there was real um social unrest and and social dissatisfaction so we had like you know the 60s the 70s with the vietnam war and that's always been you know feminism women's liberation uh civil rights all those kind of things that you know where, where people sort of said okay enough is enough we need actual change and that's always always um in every point of history been driven primarily by young people and i think we're mm. seeing a real uh growth of that in in generation z yeah a, a new counterculture is a fascinating notion i, I would say um uh, kind of onto the food and drink expo um can i just ask for the layman of which i am one uh, the correct uh, um definitions of gen z and gen a if you if you will so generation z it's always slightly it's it's kind of a, not an exact science but i put generation z um at 12 yeah ages 12 to 24 um, it's still quite early in the morning here, so I could, kind of, I could do, do the maths of the year for you. And I think uh, and Generation A, which is very little um, research over, which I'm kind of going to be really focusing on next year, they're kind of the ages of 2 to 11, so they're very much still the children. Uh, would, would you say it's fair to say that young people have a new relationship with food and drink? I do, and I think that that's very reflected in what we were just talking about, that I think that the kind of ethics... An ideology um, is really seeping into every kind of uh, strata of our behaviour. I mean, like we, it really influences how we kind of purchase, how we buy, you know, the brands that we buy, uh, the things that we watch, uh, the music that we listen to, and inevitably that was was going to um, manifest in in the food and drink we eat. And a, so, so a really good example of that is obviously, you know, it, a skyrocketing of our vegetarian and veganism. Mm-hmm. And that's particularly popular in young people. And I was saying, in you know, from about 2015 and 2016, at kind of significant food and drink events, and it was it was obviously a bit doom and gloom for the industry. But I was sort of saying that there is going to be a huge decline in the amount of alcohol consumption because, unlike previous generations, Generation Z is kind of the first generation that really celebrates sobriety, and they really like the. the I mean, there's lots of kind of complex reasons, but they haven't um, fallen for, uh, you know, the whole kind of sort of coolness factor that's always been attached to kind of smoking and drinking rebellion that's probably like really influenced sort of uh, uh, previous generations of teenagers. So inevitably, that's really, really hit. So you're sort of seeing this kind of really ethical um, 
response to sort of food and drink and this real hyper-awareness of kind of the, the, you know, the journey of ingredients, the ethics of ingredients, the history of ingredients, it's sort of kind of really what goes into food, but also the kind of sort of social and personal responsibility that's attached to food consumption. And I think, again, that's a trend that's going to really grow. And it's the same with things like fat, salt, sugar, um, you know, like, like you say, low to no alcohol. Is this the most sensible generation of all time? I think sometimes people can get a bit carried away with that kind of that label, because I think, uh, you know, I think there's always kind of been a sort of a kind of a slightly, you know, kind of idea. There should be kind of an ideological kind of promise of young people. But it, but generally speaking, I think that, yeah, they are incredibly sensible. Mm. And, and I don't always think it's for the right reasons. Like, so, for example, I think that if if so, for example, the sobriety thing, um, I think a lot of it is motivated by really good things, but I think it's also motivated by, you know, this kind of social policing they do with each other because social media and this kind of total obsession with kind of looks that's really driving this kind of clean eating thing, which is obviously causing a whole other raft of anxieties. But I think it's quite fair to say that, yes, they are a very kind of responsible, sensible generation. And again, that's that that really is, you know, I always think food is a really good sort of symbol of sort of uh, human behaviour. And I think you can really see that in the food and drink choices that generations they make. Yeah. So you you would you would posit that, you know, there is obviously an ethical edge to the decisions that these people are making. But actually, as well, it can be it can be kind of because their peers because they're, they're under so much scrutiny from their peers now as well. You think that there is an element of that too? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's quite a lot. We, you know, we really do. I mean, everybody, I think, is somewhat susceptible to it. But I think there's this really high level of kind of social shaming and cancel culture and all that, those kind of things. And like, so sort of kind of indulgence uh, for better or worse is really frowned upon. And 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 there is, you know, this very sort of, you know, strong sort of policing. And I think, yeah, I think we do focus a lot on the food choices and the food behaviours of other people. And I think that that's really apparent um, with young people. And then I think the other thing is, um, and this maybe sort of slightly seeps more into kind of like millennial culture, um, but it certainly kind of is, is impacting kind of older generation Zs, is that like food has always, food and drink has always been really central. I think it's a sort of social behaviour, but particularly kind of romantic social behaviour. Like it's always been, you know, your first foray into dating like you know it's when you're an older teenager it's the first you know you go for drinks with someone who you want to date or you might even go to a restaurant and because we're seeing such a decline in dating culture that's really shifting so when you know when I talk at these things and I'm asked about why aren't young people like old you know eight say the 18 to 24 generation which are the older generations at um going to pubs there's been this complete drop-off of pub culture and, and and people of that age group going to pubs. And I think that that's another major factor. So it's like a lack of money for sure, but it's also a complete transformation of how people socialise, you know, the fact that we're kind of so attached to technology and so much of our sort of social behaviour revolves around technology. And that's massively impacted, you know, very basic things like our desire to go out to restaurants and bars, which I think significantly dropped with Generation Z. Do you think there will come a time where, face-to-face interactions will be completely obsolete? I hope not. (laughs) But I think, and I think one of the things that I think might happen is I think what's become really apparent in the last 
certainly a couple of years, is I think that we're a bit in that kind of 1950s, 60s smoking era when they were still giving like cigarettes to like pregnant women and stuff like that. And and then suddenly people began and then it began to sort of seeping out of actually people started to say this, we're not quite being told the truth here. And I think we're really in that phase with screens that initially with this kind of you know, this amazing new technology that we were like, you know, people giving iPads to two-year-olds and, you know, laptops to four-year-olds, which I completely understand because it's kind of distracting. But I think that there's suddenly been this kind of backlash um, and like schools were kind of going, oh, maybe we need to get rid of books and have completely like tech learning. And, you know, and there was all these kind of technological sort of facilities that were being provided. And I think suddenly, even with young people who obviously are really attached to the screen, there is, I think, a slight kind of backlash. It's beginning to emerge and, you know, this kind of revival of kind of, you know, old school sort of vintage human contact. But that being said, you know, we are massively, massively in a kind of mechanised, robotized world. And I think that, yeah, there will be huge amounts of kind of, I mean, you know, you're even seeing it with, with um, in industry, you know, increasingly there's strong arguments in like major, major industries and companies of like, do we actually need people to come into work and, you know, pollute the environment and, and you know, go on transport when, you know, these days as much could be done, you know, on screen or, or, or remotely. And I, and I, you know, and I think you're already beginning to sort of see a bit of that in like schools, for example, like as there's a kind of a teacher crisis, like do kids, will kids eventually spend some of their schooling time in kind of virtual classrooms? And I think that's very, very likely quite soon. Well, it's fascinating stuff. And I, I can't wait to hear, I know you're, you're actually involved in a, in a, in a couple of uh, addresses, I think, uh, uh, across the show. Yes. Um, um, Without going into too much detail and giving away the farm, most, well, in fact, all of the people listening to you will be, will be, you know, from in and around the food and drink industry and won't be from Generation Z or Generation A. Can you impart a couple of key trends and a couple of things you will be talking to these people about on how to actually capture, you know, this kind of dynamic new market? Well, I think the thing, I mean, certainly for the restaurant and bar industry, which I think there'll be quite a lot of people there, which, I mean, for me, I always think, God, you know, it's, I, I really like kind of old school restaurants and bars. Um, but I think increasingly, you know, there has to be, it's, it's not enough, certainly for the younger generation, the notion of sitting down and talking with people over a table is, it feels really, really obsolete. So I think increasingly kind of bars and restaurants are really put, being pushed towards having other layers, you know, whether it's kind of entertainment or kind of, you know, there's, you know, there's so many kind of ways that they're drawing in customers that that sort of provide a kind of another layer of interest or stimulation. And I think we're really moving towards that, 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 that it's not quite enough now just to have a nice bar in a nice kind of environment. And, 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 you know, and they're, and it's got having to think about these kind of really sort of futuristic ideas to kind of draw younger punters in, because I, I quite simply, it's fairly obvious that old school kind of bars and restaurants just simply aren't doing it for them. Yeah. And there's, and yeah, and there's a lot, I mean, I'll talk about this a lot at the thing, but there's kind of all sorts of kind of social anxieties about bars and restaurants that I think that the industry are going to really need to respond to and kind of really think about the kind of 21st century alternatives. And then I think more for kind of the, the actual kind of food brands is thinking about sort of facilitating this kind of ethical um, sort of and, and sort of socially responsible attitude towards food and drink and how to kind of facilitate that in a, 
I guess, in a kind of an interesting way that works both the younger customer and, and the industry, but also be really attuned um, to kind of, I guess, food sort of trends and fashions that are, are, are not these kind of super futuristic, you know, meat grown in labs and stuff like that. So, for example, no one could have ever predicted the huge, huge success of the avocado. And the avocado has almost kind of become an industry unto itself. And one of the things I'm going to be really talking about is what I think are the future food trends that aren't, this, you know, uh, uh, within the realms, the immediate realms of their possibility and why those future trends exist and, and how really they can harness them and kind of use them to their advantage. Fantastic. We talked earlier about message of positivity. It does certainly sound like that's what you'll be imparting when you when you speak at the show. In terms of food futurology, um, is there is there is there one thing you can impart to me that uh, that you'll be looking at sort of uh, a food that uh, is about to kind of break out? I won't give too much away before the thing, but I think the modest cauliflower is due for a yeah. massive, massive explosion, as it were, which yeah. sounds crazy, but they're doing crazy things with cauliflower, um, and I've kind of ha- having travelled a lot. I've seen like uh, one of the there is like in every place I've visited recently, which has been quite a lot. I've been seeing some really interesting things with cauliflower that I was kind of like, oh, it's kind of I always have like kind of horrible memories of kind of limp, not particularly nice smelling vegetables. Totally boiled, yeah. And I think cauliflower is amongst one of the other things. I think that's about to have a real sort of moment in in the food sun. Chloe Comby, thanks so much for speaking to me. I really appreciate it. We'll look forward to hearing more from you at the show. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, that's all we've got time for. I think you'll agree that was an absolutely fascinating interview with Chloe. Thank you to her for giving up her time. You're going to see her not once, but twice at the Food and Drink Expo. If you haven't already done so, please go to www.foodanddrinkexpo.co.uk and get yourself registered. It really is going to be a fascinating show. We'll see you again next time. Take care. Bye.